I so appreciate Phil and Teresa leading us in a time of worship. Thank you. You know, it's unusual, right, sitting in our homes, but well, just to be able to lift our hearts up to God and let him know how we feel about him, it, whether it's in a building or whether it's in our homes, whether it's out in nature, we can really worship God. And so thank you for giving your best. And this is one of those seasons we all feel a little bit disconnected, right? Maybe a lot disconnected. But one of the tools that we have here at our church to help keep those connections going are our small groups. And even though we haven't been able to gather physically, we have gathered um, virtually. Uh, many of our small groups have been gathering every week through Zoom or other online forum to be able to just be together and pray and study God's Word. I love that our small group meets on Thursday nights just to be able to connect together and help one another. So if you've never chosen to be a part of one of our small groups, maybe you've been too busy, you haven't had time, but you really need that connection, then we want to present an opportunity to you starting May the 3rd at 12.30, in other words, after our second streaming service, we're going to have just a four-week small group study that's going to be led by Bob and Tammy Moore. Bob and Tammy do a great job. They've led small groups for so many years. And if you feel disconnected, it's a great opportunity for you to connect um, even just in a short period of time. So if you've never been a part of one of our small groups, now is the time. Go online, get signed up. The link is down in the chat box. Let us know that you want to be a part of that great opportunity. So through the years, our family has taken several different vacations. In 1994, uh, we ended up going to Yellowstone, then to Rocky Mountain National Park. But on the way to Yellowstone, we stopped at the Badlands, just a bizarre, kind of cool, desolate place. Here's some pictures of our family. Our kids were pretty young in this. But we went on kind of this hike, and I remember very clearly, we came up to kind of like this rocky ledge that I should have walked around, but of course, being the macho guy that I am, you know, I was going to lift myself up on that. So I put my hands up on this kind of rocky ledge I couldn't see in the top, and when I put them down, I put them down on some cactus. Oh my goodness, talking about pain. Oh, it was just so hurtful. It ruined the rest of the day for me. I, I got to tell you, I do not like pain. But I've had several physically painful experiences in my life. I just had my right knee replaced, total knee replacement. There was some pain involved with that. I didn't really like that. As a kid, I remember riding my bicycle in our neighborhood. Somehow I start, flew over the handlebars of my bike, landed in the street, and my leg, right, left leg kind of split open, and I had to be rushed to the hospital and have stitches. That was no fun at all. One time, we were living up in Chicago, and I came down the stairs, and I slipped, and I was barefoot, and I slid down the stairs, and my left foot slammed into the wall and into the door, and I broke my little toe. Didn't like that pain. One time, it was a Sunday morning, 20, 25 years ago. I thought somebody had stabbed me in the back. I was standing up, and the next thing I know, because of a kidney stone, I mean, I dropped to the floor. That was probably the most painful physical experience I have ever had in my life. I don't like pain. So take a moment with the people sitting in your living room with you, or if you're by yourself, use the chat window and tell us, what's the most physically painful experience that you've ever had to endure in your life? life. Tell, tell us about that just right now.
let's face it, the truth is uh, most of us don't like to go through painful things in our life. And if the last two weeks have shown me anything, is that most of us are pretty uncomfortable with pain and with suffering. Specifically, I don't think we like struggle, pain, or rough times. I mean, who of us would say, hey, bring it on. I love the difficult times in my life. We are more comfortable, at least I know I am more comfortable with the smooth road, sunshiny day where everything is wonderful. And most of us do just about everything we can to avoid pain. And you know what? I think that's pretty smart. Who wants to be able to have pain? But here's the deal. We all know that pain, struggle, it's inevitable. All of us at different times of our life go through pain and suffering and struggle in our life. It's a fact of life. In fact, it's probably the one thing that is common among every single one of us is that we all go through some measure of suffering. We are right now, though, in the midst of one of the most difficult, challenging times that maybe we've ever been in, united, you know, collectively at any time in our lives. And so it's for that reason that we've made an adjustment to our preaching schedule, and today we begin a new series entitled Faith Over Fear. And we're asking this question, how can we get through the tough times that we are going through? And so for some of us, these tough times, they're pretty brand new. For others, you've been through a lot of tough times. And for some of us, the tough times we're going through right now have nothing to do with COVID-19. But the brutal reality is we all struggle through difficult times. Your difficult time right now may be because of a choice or something you did. You're paying the price for a decision or a choice. It took you down a path that you never intended on going. Maybe you're suffering right now because of something that somebody else has done in your life. You, you didn't do anything, but somebody else made a decision, and so you're receiving the fallout of that particular decision. For some of us, the tough times we're going through is because of the circumstances we find ourselves in, which is exactly where we're at now. Nobody is to blame, but we're still going through some very difficulty, and struggle is a reality of life. And so here's Here's what I want to suggest to you in this series. Here's what I want to help you think through. It's how we go through something difficult like this that really matters. How we respond to difficult circumstances can set a trajectory for the rest of our lives and our journey with God. And so in this, what we're calling our spiritual journey, Most theologians would describe that we kind of have three different phases or three different stages of faith. And they don't just go one right after the other, but they kind of intersect, but they have influence on one another. And so I want to take a moment and explain to you these three different stages of faith. So in our spiritual journey, we can think of that journey in in three stages or three phases of faith. And This kind of concept that we're going to talk about is really important as we go through this particular series. So the first stage of faith is what we would call confidence stage. The confidence stage um, comes when we, you know, come back to God or maybe when we first 
give our life to Jesus Christ. And it's a stage that can last a long time. We're, we're excited. In many ways, we get this sense that this is the way life is always supposed to have been lived. I mean, our, our prayers just seem to always be answered by God. Our obedience to God um, just seems to result in blessings. And we feel this great sense of joy and this great sense of gratitude. But no matter how long this confident faith season lasts for us, inevitably, at some point or at some points, we can find ourselves in a season that we call challenge faith. Suddenly what was working doesn't. And our fears emerge. It's like our doubts start growing. It feels like God's not even listening to our prayers. Some people say, my prayer's just bouncing off the ceiling. Uh, our obedience to God is just kind of drudgery and it gets us nowhere. And we long for those days of fresh faith. And I'll say that my faith has really been in this challenge season these last five or six weeks. I mean, from a personal standpoint, my dad, he's 86 years of age. And what could happen to him or my granddaughter, Lael? She has diabetes, and so I've wrestled with that from a church standpoint. Oh my goodness, the church, everything's changed in the church. What we could do, it seems like we can no longer do, and the way to trying to figure that out and wrestle with what that looks like has been overwhelming, even from an eternal standpoint. I've had people who've asked me, is, you know, is this the end? Is Jesus coming back? And in the midst of this challenged season, there have been times I say, God, what's going on? Why, why is this happening? So what about you? What are you grappling with at this season? I want you to write down what are the things that's making your life hard right now? What's causing you pain? What's causing you suffering? I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to write down a word or a sentence or maybe even draw a symbol or something that represents what you're going through. Let's all do that together right now. So we're going to come back to that. So I want you to take what you've written down and set it aside. But this hard stuff, this stage of challenging faith has the potential to take us to the next stage, a stage that we call living faith. A living faith is a deep and abiding faith that remains strong even in the most difficult of circumstances. And most of us, we long for this kind of faith. We we want to be able to live with this inward sense of peace and hope and confidence that no matter what life throws our way, I mean, we, we stay confident and strong in this faith we have in God. But here's the thing. The only way to grow a living faith is to journey through the challenged faith stage. Confident faith, challenged faith, and a living faith. So in this series, we're going to focus our time and attention on the challenge stage of our faith journey. How do I get through what I'm going through? How will I respond, right? When struggles come and tough times come, how will I move from the fear I feel to faith? And so during this series, we're going to take a look at a story from the Old Testament when God's people went through their challenged faith season. It's a book called Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And we're going to begin in Exodus 3. So I want to invite you, please take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 3. And 
You can use the YouVersion app, go to the events section. There's a tab over here on this side, click Bible, and you can find that. But first, let me give you a little bit of background about the story that we're going to look at. At one point, um, during a very severe famine, God's people um, were forced to leave their own land, and they ended up in Egypt. They went there because one of their own, a man by the name of Joseph, um, had found favor with the Egyptian king. In fact, Joseph rose to to second in command in, in all of Egypt, and so Joseph and the king brought God's people to the land of Egypt, and they had their own land. I mean, they enjoyed great favor because of Joseph. They did at least at the beginning, but when we get to our story in Exodus 3, hundreds of years have passed, and that favor had been long forgotten. Joseph had been long forgotten, and they were now living in slavery to their Egyptian masters. They were mistreated. They were abused. I mean, their lives were brutally hard. And so faced with this question, how will I get through what I'm going through? How will I move from fear to faith? I want to look at two different scenes in the Egyptians as they leave Egypt and go to the promised land and notice two contrasting responses that they give to help us think through how am I going to respond to what's going on in my life? So let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. So at this point, God has chosen a man by the name of Moses. He's an Israelite, and God wants Moses to be the one to lead his people. And so in Exodus, it says that Moses was tending the flock, his sheep of his father-in-law. He's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and he came upon um, what's called the mountain of God. So Exodus 3, verse 2. There... The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it would not burn up. This is a crazy sight. And Moses did what any red-blooded male would do. When you see fire, let's go check it out, right? He went to find out what was going on. Here's a picture of me. I, I... look like I'm on fire. This was just last weekend we were having a fire, but that's just an illusion. What Moses faced was the real thing. But as he gets closer to this bush that's on fire, a voice begins to speak to him. Look back at Exodus 3, verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, there's just so much going on in this discussion between Moses and God. We can't get to all of it. But I want to draw your attention to a very particular place here. What were the people of Israel doing in response to their suffering in Egypt? How did they respond to this challenging season. Look again at verse 7. 
the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out. So how did they respond to this particular challenging season of their life? They cried out to God. In the midst of their misery, they cried to God. In the midst of their suffering, they looked up to heaven. A lot of us have been doing a lot of that over the past few weeks, right? And God, like a loving earthly father, God cares about his children. And so what's he say? He sees his people. He hears their cries. And he says, I'm concerned about their suffering. And he's ready to take action. And it's so crucial for us to remember that this God of the Israelites is the same loving Father who hears and sees and is concerned about the pain in your life and in my life. This isn't just some ancient story, right? This is an example that's repeated over and over again in Scripture of how a loving God responds to his children. So now we need to come to scene two. Let's keep going. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. And we see God intervene and respond again to the cries of his people. And so through Moses, his response is he leads them out of slavery of Egypt. But notice the route that God has them taking here, all right? Exodus 13, beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Now, when I first read this, I thought, wait a second, God, do you need a map? Are you lost out there? Do you need Siri to help you out a little bit? Why didn't he lead them on the shorter route to the promised land? Why did he lead them out on this desert road? That was probably the last thing that they were expecting. I would guess that ending up on the desert road didn't feel much like a rescue at all. Now, first, I need you to notice that God always has his reasons, even though we don't fully understand them. According to Moses, you know, they, they weren't ready for battle. They thought they were ready for battle, right? They've been slaves for 400 years. They didn't know anything about fighting. But there's a far more important truth that's going on in this story. God was leading them in the path of rescue, but it didn't feel much like a path of rescue. Does that feel sometimes familiar to you? Don't we sometimes find ourselves in a place that doesn't feel much like a rescue? You know, I mean, we cried out to God and our circumstances have changed, but we find ourselves in a place that this isn't what my plan was, God. This isn't where I thought we should be going. Because you see, even the path of rescue can be a path of challenged faith. And God is still at work. But we still find feeling like our prayers aren't answered, wondering if God even is concerned for us. Maybe even we begin to doubt God's goodness or the existence of God. Why? Because we have ended up in a place far, far away from where we thought we wanted to be. 
we've ended up in a place, God, this isn't what I had in mind. And I bet there are many of you feeling that same way right now. Now, please don't get up and leave the room. I know you can, right? You're not in the building. But there's more to come in this story that's so important for you to hear. On this detour, God demonstrates again and again and again his concern for them. We see that God miraculously was leading them. Exodus 13, verse 21. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. For 40 years, God guided them in this way. God also was miraculously protecting them. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on their right and on their left. See, this is a story the Egyptian army said, hey, we need to go back and get our slaves. They found themselves between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And yet here's God who miraculously protects them and leads them through the sea. But then God miraculously provides for them. Exodus 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. I mean, those are just a handful of a multitude of examples of how God miraculously were providing for his people. And all along this desert detour, God's people got to see God do amazing things again and again and again. And you would think, right, since God had shown up in so many miraculous ways that when they ran into a little bit of a problem, they were like, it's no big deal. God's got this covered. You'd think by this time they'd have a living faith to handle the challenges of the desert detour but not not too fast. I want you to see how they responded to this circumstance. How did they, the same group of people, respond to the next season of challenged faith? Look at verse 2 and 3 of Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if we had only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. After everything that's happened to them, after all the things that God had done to them, they had amnesia. They had forgotten how difficult life was back then. And they find themselves on the desert road and their faith begins to crumble. And they complain about where they are and what's going on. They haven't ended up where they thought rescue was going to bring them to. And so their cry to a loving Heavenly Father now turned to grumbling, to complaining against what they considered, I think, an absentee boss. I mean, do you see what's going on here? One group of people. Two very different responses. In Egypt, they cried out to God. 
in the desert. They grumbled and they complained to the same God. There's a real difference between crying out and complaining. You know, a complaint or a grumbling. You know, it's taught, it's, it's, you know, complaining about the injustices that we perceive have been inflicted upon us as if to say, I deserve way better than this. And in a sense, this concept of grumbling is looking at God and saying, obviously, you can't take care of us. You don't have the power to do that. That's, that's grumbling and complaining. Whereas a cry is this deep lament. It's like, God, this is what's going on. It's still saying we're in difficulty but it's recognizing what God can do. And the difference between those two responses is found in one word. It is in the word trust. In crying out, we express an understanding that God can take care of us. That even if we find ourselves in a place we don't think we can be in, that we know down deep in our hearts that God is taking care of us. And so we express our pain and concern to God not to say you can't do it, but to say, God, we desperately need you. We, in, tr- in crying out, we say, God, you're a loving Heavenly Father. You've taken care of us in the past, and we know you can take care of us. We, we trust in you even when we find ourselves in a place we, we didn't think we would be at. But complaining is the exact opposite of trusting God. Instead of trusting God, what we do is we say, God, we know what's best. And so we're grumbling at you because you can't pull it off. This is the plan. This is where we are supposed to be. God, this is what you're supposed to be doing. But you just don't seem to get the plan. Anyone found themselves grumbling once or twice this week? It's, it's a challenge, right? So here's kind of the bottom line. Every single one of us has or will go through some very difficult desert detours in our life. And every one of us has to figure out, how am I going to get through what I'm going through? How am I going to deal with this painful thing that I have in my life? So I had you write down earlier in the message, what's something that's painful for you and difficult for you? I want you to get that out. Look at that. Um, What has you feeling like you're lost in the desert? But as you feeling disillusioned now, disappointed, this is where I'm at, maybe even questioning your faith. I mean, for some of you, you're there, your desert is full of unanswered questions. You just don't get it. I can't figure this out, God. This is so difficult. For some of you, your desert is work, right? Or it's financial and You're looking at what's happened to you, and you're like, how on earth, God, is this going to work out? For some of you, the desert you find yourself in has to do with your health or the health of someone that you love. So here's the thing. You're one person, but you have two responses before you. The response I want to encourage you to make that I need to make is to cry out to my heavenly Father. Now maybe for you, this idea of crying out seems kind of foreign. It's, I, I, I haven't done it. Maybe for some of you, it feels a little bit awkward, right? Or it's like, do I even deserve to do this? Is it even okay that I tell God how I'm feeling about this circumstance? You know what? It's more than okay. It's exactly what God wants you to do. 
He, he wants you in the midst of the difficulties of your life to turn to him and say, God, this is so hard. God, I need your help. So what might this crying out look like? What form might it take? Well, there's a lot of different options, but I've asked my wife, Patty, to share in the midst of the anxiety and the fear that she's been feeling, how, how has she gone through this? What are some things that she has done to help her move from fear to faith? During this uncertain time, I could see where it could lead to a lot of fear and anxiety. And one thing I've done to keep myself from getting in that rut of fear is to go to the Word of God and really memorize it. During the last five weeks, Doug has pulled out a few Psalms that have really impacted me. One of those is Psalm 121, where it says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Well, if my help comes from the one who created it all, I don't need to worry. I know that he is sovereign. I know that he's in control. And memorizing that and knowing that he watches over me. Later on it says, he watches over you. And the one who watches over you doesn't slumber. He doesn't slumber or sleep. And then it says, the Lord watches over you. He watches over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. That is something that I can rely on. That is a truth that I can grab hold of. And I don't need to fear because he's watching over me. The other one is Psalm 63. And it has become this thing that when I lay my head down at night, I begin quoting it to myself because it says, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You know, we live in a, in a land where people look everywhere for something that's gonna quench their thirst. And we know that nothing, nothing quenches like the Lord our God. He's the one. Uh, later on in that Psalm, it says that he is, I can sing in the shadow of his wings. To sing in the shadow of his wings it gives me such comfort to know that he is holding on to me, he is protecting me, and I don't need to fear. You know what? We so want God to just take the pain away. God, pull us out of the desert. Just please make it go away. And you know what? Sometimes God does that. But every time, all the time, God says, I am concerned for your pain and your suffering. I do see what you're going through. I hear the cry for help. Cry out to me and I promise that I will be there for you. So the question is, will you cry out to your loving Heavenly Father? You know, on the night before Jesus died, Jesus cried out to his Father God in the garden. He asked you know, God, if it is possible, please take this away from me, this suffering. And yet, on that day, he chose to endure some of the most excruciating desert experience that you and I could, we could never imagine. Now, Jesus' suffering on the cross may not give us the reason for our pain and suffering, right? It may not explain the fear and the worry and the anxiety that we may have, but there is one thing that Jesus' suffering on the cross does explain to us, 
it explains how much God loves you. Because, to see, the reason for our pain and suffering is not that God doesn't love you. But Jesus' death on the cross, he put his arms out to show this is how much I love you. So will you, you willing to cry out to your heavenly father during this challenging time? Maybe for you that's learning to just stop the complaint. Because, I mean, we all wrestle with that complaining, right? It's just like it begins to come out of our mouth and it's like, no, I'm going to stop that complaining and I'm going to say, God, here's the need that I have. Maybe, maybe that's what it looks like for you. Maybe for you, it's humbling ourselves enough to say, you know what? I'm not God. I can't meet this need. And it's getting on our knees in a quiet place and just earnestly saying to God, God, here's my burdens. Maybe, maybe for some of us, it's taking the word of God that we know that speaks into these needs and it's, it's learning it or memorizing or writing in a place so that we can just see that over and over and over again, that we can quote the truth in the face of the fear that we have. But regardless of what happens, today, tomorrow, who knows how long this might last, God will be with you. God is concerned for you. And God, only God, can help you get through what you're going through. Lord God, we, we need you desperately. I know I do. And the sense of feeling overwhelmed by the circumstance of what's happening here. God, I cry out to you with the struggles that I have personally and Lord, with our church here, when, uh, not knowing what may be happening next, Father, Lord, as your people, we just lift our hands to you and we say, God, here's my need, financial, relational, spiritual, emotional, God, I'm crying out to you because I know you are the one that can meet that need. God, thank you for the truth of your word and it's in your most precious name we pray, amen.